From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world, bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors, covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Friends, welcome into episode four of our fall series as we come off a week of weather that was really fairly quiet when you compare them to the chaotic weeks that we had several weeks ago. In this relatively quiet week, many folks have been enjoying bouts of late summer warmth with some chilly incursions of fall. But friends, as we look at the maps and the models, it looks like things are going to get more volatile and changeable here with some really rough weather, especially with a parade of storms out west and also some volatility with severe weather potential this upcoming week in the interior parts of the country and then also some interesting changes in the east that have been enjoying some summer stretches. Dan DePodwin will join me at the end of the podcast in our normal weather for the weekend ahead and week beyond segment to get you caught up to date on the general weather trends over the next week or so. But up in our first rays of focus segment, one of the things that has brought me joy in this relationship with uh, this podcast and in being able to host it is our relationship and partnership with the Royal Meteorological Society to present to you Weather Photographer of the Year of 2021. Our friends at Arments and here at AccuWeather that were part of that will join me. Friends, sit back and relax. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Over 8,900 photographs taken by more than 3,300 photographers from 114 countries whittled down to a short list that was voted on not only by the team of judges at the Royal Meteorological Society and AccuWeather and from the world, but also then put to a public vote. And we are all waiting for the results. Well, they were given out this past Saturday at a Weather Live event, but uh, we're going to kind of recreate that magic here with the chief executive of Royal Meteorological Society, Liz Bentley. Dr. Bentley also joined by our friend and colleague, Tyler Royce from AccuWeather, who was another presenter during the Weather Live situation. Let's catch up with Liz and talk to Tyler about that special day when we found out this past Saturday, the Weather Photographer of the Year for 2021. Well, first of all, welcome, Liz. It's always great to see you. Um, When we uh, talk here, we always like to kind of catch up on things that are going on across the pond because we kind of concentrate here on everything under the sun on the United States and North America. And, uh, you know, I know that you folks uh, are being really busy right now gearing up for the UN Climate Change Conference uh, that's going to be held here in just a couple of weeks in Glasgow. COP, COP26 is kind of the designation that we get it uh, for it. And uh, tremendous. That means it's 26 years that we've been talking about climate change. And I know you folks and our Mets and, and the whole community there really gearing up for that important conference as we see more and more evidence of the climate changing and the effects and getting more data every day about those kinds of things. Yeah, a really important conference will be up there for the full two weeks. So um, it t- takes place uh, the first two weeks of November and we're just busily 
sorting out logistics and uh, what we'll be doing up there. So a couple of things that we're planning on doing, which I'm really excited about, we're going to be running two short daily video bulletins. The first one, we what we plan to do to get into the schools in the UK. So we're going to produce a, a short bulletin that we hope to show every morning in all the UK schools, just giving a taster of what's happening each day at this conference to try and just get that dialogue going with the school children. So, uh, like a recap of what happened the day before and some of the, the main speakers and some of the things and some of the things that were talked about. Yeah, and, and a look ahead to the day ahead. So right. each each day of the conference has a theme. And so sometimes it's on uh, youth or energy or transport. So there's different themes every day. So we'll talk about that theme and what's going to happen, try and demystify what this conference is all about. But it's just getting the, the school children to have that conversation about it. So they'll hear about it on the news, I'm sure, all the time here in the UK. And we want them to just engage with that conversation. And then we're going to do another video, which is more just for the general public, which is just looking back at the day. Uh, what happened? What is this conference all about? What does it mean to people on the ground? So we're going to be talking to people in Glasgow about what it means for them. So not those that are attending the conference, just the people who live and work in Glasgow. And, and again, just short little videos that we'll put out on our YouTube channel uh, every day. So we're really excited about that because... For most people, this conference will happen. It probably doesn't mean much to them. And you know, we're just trying to demystify what, what it's all about. Four goals uh, that are listed here. Secure global net zero by mid-century and keep one and a half degrees within reach. Yeah. Kind of break that down, what that goal means in terms of this conference. In 2015, the conference took place in Paris, and that was a huge conference for, for, for the UN. It pulled out what we call the Paris Agreement, where we had all the countries around the world, about 195 of them that attend COP, all signed up to the Paris Agreement to say that they would try and limit um, the global warming uh, temperatures as we move through this century. They want to limit to two degrees, but had a kind of stretch target of limiting it even further to just 1.5 degrees Celsius in warming. We have this Paris Agreement. This next COP, or the one that's happening uh, in a couple of weeks in Glasgow, is really about making turning that into action. So there have been a number of pledges from these countries about how they might achieve limiting warming to 1.5 degrees. And there are a number of pledges out there. The US have made pledges. The UK are making pledges. Some countries have made some really strong pledges and others have made no pledges at all. But it's about turning that into action, turning those into policies within those governments, but also turning it into action and starting to see a, a reduction in greenhouse gases that we emit into the atmosphere. Goal number two, adapt to protect communities and natural habitats. I guess taking that action and making sure that we're looking not only at the global picture, but then in each area, how the climate change could be affecting and make sure that we're, we're thinking about mitigation and, and prevention on those local levels, right? Yeah. So so the first theme is about mitigation, isn't it? It's about how we reduce greenhouse gases and take action to limit the warming. The second one is about, well, we recognize climate change is happening. We've seen loads of events this year, haven't we? Extreme weather events, flooding, heat events. How do we adapt? How do we as humans adapt? How do ecosystems adapt? So there's a, there's a real focus on adaptation this time, which I think is really important. Goal number Number three, mobilize finances. And uh, certainly, I think uh, in addition to getting to that point where uh, the rubber of the policy meets the road of actual action, that money is required. And I think uh, the goal is to promise to mobilize at least $100 billion in climate yeah. finance per year. That seems like a lofty goal. Yeah, absolutely. And this is really where the, the rich countries support the poorer countries. So it's, it's about finding the money so that everybody can treat and adapt and mitigate 
mitigate it equally and we're not just it's not just those that've got the money that can do this it's supporting the the poorer countries as well well and i think that kind of ties into the fourth and final goal mm-hmm. is work together to deliver i mean we yeah. can all have these good ideas individually by country by region but uh, when we're tackling this issue we've got to look at it as a global thing and figure out how uh, ways we can work together better to accomplish that yeah no absolutely really important and again you know you're going to have representatives from every country around the world coming together to to have these discussions and you'll see lots of senior people coming in and and you know either at the beginning of the conference or towards the end of the conference but i think it's about unity it's about working together to to deliver on a common goal again that's uh, cop26 in fact the uh, website is ukcop26.org all kinds of great information on uh, how to keep track as liz said about um, with the daily bulletins and briefings that you'll get as that uh, conference takes place starts uh, officially on October 31st and lasts for a couple of weeks at the beginning of November. Uh, We may check back with you here in a couple of weeks to kind of get a, a recap of that, Liz, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just a week or so ago, just this past Saturday, um, one of your amazing weather live events here, which brought into play uh, all kinds of experts from around the country and around the world uh, to talk about some weather issues on the uh, precipice of uh, announcing what we're all going to talk about here at the end of this segment, which is the weather photographer of the year. But you had some great guests, including our very own meteorologist, Tyler Royce, who makes his second appearance on uh, this weather live presentation last year i think he talked about weather communication tyler's joining us here tyler you looked at uh, the silent killer heat waves and i think this is a, a big situation that we you know started talking about this year we had some heat waves especially in this country in the united states that rivaled you know we always think about the deadly cold and that yep. seems to you know cold weather waves and big arctic outbreaks seems to get a lot of the press at times but now we're seeing how devastating and how bad some of these uh, really momentous this heat waves have become. And I think that's was your focus there, Tyler, right? Yes, it was. Uh, it largely comes down to the heat wave effects kind of aren't right away. They happen down the road. They, they start during the heat wave, but they last longer. So in the cold, you get, you get the cold and people, you have the impact right away with heat waves. They happen, but much longer, which is different than, let's say, a flash flooding or a lightning strike, which we always typically hear the news that someone perished because of those. So that's why I say heat waves are probably the silent killer in that regard. Thought I just read today something, a story, uh, somebody's now naming their heat waves, right? A country's naming the heat waves? Did it, I? It looks like it's uh, the city of Seville in, oh, Seville. Uh, in, in right, Spain. Right. I know in Italy, they. I think it was Italy, and I think also in Greece, this past summer, the heat wave that was in August, they named Lucifer. Um, and in the past, Italy has has gone that route of calling the heat waves Lucifer. So it's a unique thing. It, it goes kind of with the theme of what typically happens in the win- autumn, winter, and spring of naming winter storms or wind storms. That now we're going to start naming heat waves for people to be aware that, yes, this is adverse heat that we have to be taking precautions for. 
That's, I mean, that's controversial. Uh, I know there's been a lot of pushback back and forth in terms of here in this country. You know, one of the weather providers went about starting to name winter storms. Not everybody else glommed on. In fact, most other people have not glommed on into that. Uh, We still save the names for the tropical systems. I don't know. Be the tiebreaker here, Liz. Is is this a good idea or bad idea? Do we start trivializing some of the danger of some of this by giving it a name? So we introduced naming of storms in the UK about five years ago, and it's gone down really well. It's gone down well for for a number of reasons. One, in highlighting when there is an extreme storm on the way. So it's it's an extra emphasis on top of the warnings that we push out to to the general public. But two, when you look back on these events, it's really helpful to have a named event so that you can talk about a specific, rather than saying, oh, the storm that happened on such and such a day. We we call it storm whatever. And again, that's probably going to be useful for heat waves, both in getting the warning message out, but also looking back at particular heat wave events. only thing that I see that it's a little different, the UK is a lot smaller, right? So so a storm sometimes can only affect you for a day or two at the max, mm-hmm. right? At the, the height of the storm. I think some of the problem that we get in this country with this is that, you know, storms can start out west, dump a lot of snow there, kind of go through a metamorphosis in their situation and then reemerge as a coastal storm on the east. And so we deal with these storms a lot longer, some of them, and, and they change in characteristic. And I think that becomes harder to do here. So, I mean, yeah, this has been something that it's interesting to see this trend, but I think you're right. I think it gives a pretty good point of reference in those. In terms of uh, the other subjects that were covered, uh, I think we talked about monitoring uh, extreme global wildfires, which kind of goes into the the heat wave situation, not only in the western part of the United States, the deadly heat wave, but they were also accompanied by wildfires, flood forecasting, and uh, also all kinds of other great information. When this rolls around next year, folks, I think you want to sign up for this Weather Live event. Not only do you get some great information on meteorology, but then you get the excitement of where we are right now in this process here in the podcast, talking about the winners of the 2021 Weather Photographer of the Year contest presented by the Royal Meteorological Society and assisted and with association with us in AccuWeather. We're so proud to do that. And uh, again, let's just, uh, I'll kind of briefly summarize the process where We started with submissions. The judges got it down to a short list of 21 images, over 8,000 taken or 8,900, almost 9,000 taken for more than 3,000 photographers, 114 countries. Amazing results this year. We whittled them down to a short list. We let people Uh, the general public vote on their favorites. So I think the best way to do this is talk first about the judges' favorites, and then we're going to talk about the public favorites. So for the overall weather photographer of the year, it was a beautiful picture. And then we're going to put, obviously, the links uh, to where you can find these things on our notes section of our our podcast information there. If you look at your podcast finder, uh, go down to the notes section, you can see the links to get this. It was one of my favorites, Morning Fog from Geo Montini, uh, an Italian who took this picture up on the top of a hill, it looks like. And, and, and as I read the description, we know this here where we live, Tyler and I, in central Pennsylvania. We're in a mountainous region, and some of us live on the higher elevations, and we get a lot of valley yeah. fog. So it's a, it's beautiful when that fog just settles into the valleys and with the terrain. Uh, just a gorgeous picture. Just talk a little bit about that, um, Liz, uh, why uh, the judges picked that one a little bit and, and talk about some of the thoughts on that beautiful picture. I guess when, you, when you're judging this and you've, you've, you know, you're skipping through 9,000 images, often <laughs> it's the dramatic ones that jump out 
out first. So, you know, the ones that are lightning and tornadoes. But this one particularly jumped out for me. It's very serene. It's very calm. So it's taken in the morning as you've got the sun just rising. You've got this shallow fog in the valleys. You get some beautiful kind of breakup of the sunlight rays on, you know, the, the, the trees on the various hilltops. It's just so serene. It's got that beautiful depth. You know, it goes all the way back. It's very three-dimensional kind of image, although as a, you know, as a, as a photograph, it's 2D, but you get a very three-dimensional effect here. It's beautiful. It, it takes me to a very calm, serene place. And, you know, as I say, normally your eye gets attracted to the really dramatic weather. This one, it just has so much beauty, so much peace in it that it, it, it certainly attracted mine. It was probably my favourite quite quickly, actually, as we start to shortlist. And I think we came to a conclusion as a group of judges quite quickly that this was, you know, the overall winner. Another gorgeous picture, self-portrait in a boat. This was taken, I think, in Russia on a mountain lake. Uh, it had been frozen, uh, but there were holes. You can see the paths of where the, the boat had gone in this lake that's frozen over, and there's little places that are melted over. It's it's really an extraordinary fo photograph. That was the first runner-up by the judging panel. And then the second runner-up uh, is a beautiful shot of a isolated lightning storm over Can Bay, uh, Can, I'll say it, try to say it French, <laughs> the <laughs> Can Bay over in uh, in. Paris by Serge Zaka. And we mentioned that one as the second runner up because that picture, which is uh, lightning from an isolated storm over Conbay by Serge, uh, is the public winner. So that was the public favorite. Gorgeous photograph of a beautiful cell. Uh, you can see the lightning coming down on the back edge. Uh, the lighting is where it's almost twilight and you can see a little bit of the cloudy. It's just a gorgeous photograph. And it so happens that uh, I was able just uh, early yesterday morning to talk to Serge and get some of his thoughts about being the public favorite here in the Weather Photographer of the Year contest. Serge, welcome in. Congratulations on winning the public vote. Let's first talk a little bit about your background. You work in agricultural weather in France. Is that correct? Yes, it's correct. Uh, I hold the PhD in agrometeorology. I mean agronomy and meteorology. I study the impact of climate on agriculture and agriculture on climate. So the back and forth between how they kind of interact with each other. That's pretty cool. Yes. What part of France do you live in? I am living in the south of France in the city of Montpellier. It's close to the Mediterranean Sea. Montpellier and Nîmes in France are two cities. They are the most dangerous city in France because of storms. We have huge storm in autumn. That's why I'm living in the south of France. It's far much better than in the north. <laughs> because because the weather is more exciting in the south. Yes, the weather is far much more exciting. There is hot summer and very strong storms in autumn. And the photo can uh, is taken not very far away from my city, like three hours driving. Cannes is on the seashore of Mediterranean Sea. It's the same climate as my city. We have a very beautiful summers, and in autumn, it starts in August, and the best season is, in, is on September. Uh, we have a lot of very beautiful storms, and that's why I like to chase in this part of France. Warm southern uh, the Mediterranean climate, that, that south coast of France, very, very warm, very nice in the summer. And then the fall comes, these colder air masses come down, the colder air starts to come down and it creates these storms. 
and you happened to be at uh, con and you saw that beautiful storm pop up and you were said oh were you looking for that or that just it just kind of came up on you that the storm that you photograph i wait every year this season you know august september and october to to make this kind of photo because in this part of france we have um, a very beautiful storm uh, it's like uh, because of the sea the sea is very hot we have the wind the contrasting winds or it's shear so there's two different yes. directions of wind yes, and then they create these big massive thunderstorms yes yeah, so they're a little bit in some ways sometimes smaller than the ones we may see here in the united states they're more and so you can get these smaller cells of thunderstorms in this situation and that's what you saw you had that beautiful cell in the yes. decaying light and it was just gorgeous serge just uh, real quickly how what did it make you feel first of all to learn that you were one of the runners up you know like sec uh, second runner up from the judges and then the public voted you as their favorite how did that make you feel is that uh, pretty exciting <laughs> you know, I, I start to study meteorologists when i was nine years old i start to chase when i was 16 years old wow so now i'm 32 i'm chasing since 16 years old i was like almost crying on my phone i called my mother you know <laughs> I, I have the result yeah. and i say my mother uh, to my mother i'm chasing since 16 years old so this is a very big honor for me to have two prizes, the public and by the judges. So I was like like a, a child, you know. <laughs> I just called my mother first <laughs> to explain what's happened. And after I, I, I go on social media and I say to my followers, I was very happy, you know. It was, for, in France, we say it's a consecration. Uh, it's like the final uh, things of the period. I will not stop right you're you're gonna keep doing this and probably take yes, pictures and course. probably submit more to the armets whether yes I, I, there is a lot of things to show to people uh, around the world because they never look at the sky when there is a storm i always say that look inside the home and they don't look at the sky so i want to show them that there is some beautiful things um, with the storms there is a lot of things also to say about global warming because I'm doing a lot of conferences about global warming. I will not stop now with this price. I want to go further and to show more things to people. Well, Serge, thank you so much for uh, sharing that amazing photograph. Congratulations on the honors. And it was really great to talk to you. I appreciate you. And you need to come to the United States and we need to do some big storm chasing sometime together. That would be fun. Yes, I want to go maybe in some years, maybe not the, um, I will be a father in next year, so I will not be able to go to to America, but maybe in, in 2023, um, I will go to America to chase some tornado with some friends. So maybe you're going to see my hat, <laughs> because I always have a hat. Maybe you're going to see my hat in Kansas or in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> this is radio, but Serge has a nice cowboy hat on, so he looks like the part. Serge, congratulations, and it was great talking to you. Thank you. Really excited, uh, Liz and Tyler, to talk to Serge. I know, uh, you know, he's uh, in the business. He's certainly had an interest, but it's 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 great to hear the excitement 
of uh, these winners as we, uh, you know, just this process. And then I was, we've been involved here at AccuWeather over the last few years and me being involved within the last couple of years. Um, the excitement of these uh, people getting involved and then obviously winning, uh, I know he was extremely happy. And uh, what a beautiful photo. Liz, talk a little bit about the, this public vote. Yeah, I, I think for me, this year is the first year we've been running this competition now six years. This is the first year that the public have voted for one of our winners in every other year they've gone for one of the shortlisted oh, images but not yet three. yeah wow so yeah. um so there was a little bit consistency this year with with the judges view and and the public vote but a beautiful image and again it's one of these images we talked about this i think last year you can keep coming back and each time you come back there's something something new and different that you want to look at so as you say it's beautiful cloud structure in there you've got lightning down the kind of left hand side of the the cloud structure you can see the rainfall coming out the bottom of the cloud you know there's so much kind of activity going on in what is a still image it's it's just beautiful it's again mesmerizing the lighting of it both you know with the brightness of the lightning on the left but even as you kind of move from left to right across the kind of composite it is spectacular we had two subcategories. One um, that we started, I think, was it last year, Liz, that we started the Young Weather Photographer of the Year? That was the first year. So this was the second we did. We kind of broke it off to an under 18 category. And uh, the winner is a young photographer, 17-year-old, Fe- <laughs> this is a great name for a, winning a contest, Phoenix Blue from Kansas. Uh, one with her, uh, with the picture, Kansas Storm. Just an intriguing picture of uh, the storm cloud clouds growing and kind of that surreal feeling again, kind of that juxtaposition of, you know, something bad's coming, but there's also kind of a calmness and a simplest simpleness to it in my mind when I look at that photo. Yeah. And a perfect name by the photographer for this <laughs> image, because you get that, that kind of eerie blue color that, that you often get in these, you know, in these storms. Um, I mean, it's beautiful again, you know, the, the dramatic kind of nature of, of the cloud, you can almost feel like you're there, the, the intensity uh, as, as this storm builds. And then you've got this beautiful kind of front setting I and mean, you know again you know it's Kansas just kind of looking at the the kind of buildings and the the fencing you know it, it kind yeah. of jumps out of you it's quite iconic as well so it is again a spectacular image and, and hard to believe it you know a 17 year old captured that but you know well done to, to Phoenix. Our uh, colleague, Jesse Farrell, who was also uh, was one of the judges, uh, his quote on this, anyone who's experienced a severe thunderstorm knows about the eerie, deep green blue color sometimes present as storms approach. This captures that in a bottle and is more impressive that the winner is in the youth category. Great uh, framing and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, Phoenix Blue. I wonder if we'll see Phoenix Blue on the on TV as a meteorologist. That would be a great name to <laughs> to be a, a TV presenter. And you're right. Uh, you look at that picture and you can almost hear music from the Wizard of Oz in the background as we're getting ready for the tornado scene. Now, a subcategory that we added this year, the mobile phone category or the mobile device category, yeah, extremely popular, um, more popular than maybe we were anticipating. But then I guess no surprise because most of us, you know, carry a, a, a mobile device around with us and the cameras on mobile devices are just absolutely, you know, high quality. So to get these images, to have to, to capture something that, you know, you don't have to wait hours for, it's just there and you've got a mobile phone or a mobile device to capture it. So some really high quality images in here. 
quite challenging to get that down to to a smaller mm. number. In fact, I think this was the one category it took us the longest as judges to get this shortlist down. Not not because there were so many, but just because they were so good. The quality of them, right? Yeah. And then the winner of it is again uh, like the overall winner is uh, kind of fog is the main fo- focus, and it's but it's someplace that I would have never thought necessarily would have a foggy morning yeah. uh, in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. You know, you think a desert, you don't think of a foggy morning in that situation, but uh, they did indeed have one that morning and you can see the blue skies over and then the, the way the fog's interacting with the sunlight and the tall gleaming buildings, it's just a, it's just a gorgeous the ethereal quality of light, uh, Judge Joe Bradford comment, uh, commented, penetrates the mist and diffuses the beautiful desert colors. Yeah, it's just, again, a juxtaposition of something weather-wise you don't necessarily expect in a place that you think about is uh, in one weather situation you get something a little bit different which is kind of the wacky fun world of weather that we live in here so um rousing success again for this i know tyler you've been involved in the presentation and everything the last two years and i know you can feel the sense of how proud we are at accuweather to be involved in this just talk a little bit about that just how fun it was to be part of that announcement again this past saturday yeah it's always fun to be able to present these award-winning photos to the public uh it's fun to interact with another weather organization that uh that is global and to be able to interact with the weather community not necessarily united states but somewhere else that has another global footprint so it's being able to expand the weather community almost in terms of how we interact with people. We're not necessarily a small isolated group, but we're, we're kind of a global family that we all interact with each other. I think that's always the exciting part of being able to come to the Weather Live uh, events and present and interact with, with people from the UK. There are people from uh, other parts of Europe and uh, there's even some other US people who joined. So it's always fun to be able to do that. That's what... Uh, if you want to look at a positive from COVID is that we've been able to expand the footprint of this on a much larger scale. I agree with that. Uh, the, the virtual nature of this now makes it uh, very interesting. Just real quick, can we go back, uh, Liz, and watch that event, the, the Weather Live event in its entirety? Is that uh, archived somewhere so people can actually see the entire event, even though it just happened this past Saturday? So, yeah, we recorded the event. Um, I'm not quite sure if it's up on our YouTube channel yet, but I'll, I'll make sure that you've got the link and you can put that in when we when we share the podcast so yeah let's do that cool sounds good and i know um again if you want to and again go down to our notes you'll have some of these links but uh if you want to see all the winners and finalists you can go to www.rmets.org slash photography um, and then I'm sure that the pages that you might find should have a link to other things you need. And one of the links that I found there is you can go to shop.rmets.org and you can pre-order a 2022 calendar that has all these great images. Definitely getting on here and ordering one of these. This is gorgeous. So you can uh, see all these uh all these great images uh, you know, in front of you as you keep a track of a calendar, that would be a pretty good Christmas gift, I think, or yeah, holiday gift Christmas here. Present, yeah. Absolutely. See, I'm already thinking ahead and planning for folks. <laughs> well, this has always been, uh, like I said, the last few years, a, a real pleasure kind of helping you guys through this start to finish. You know, for all these big things that happen, I know uh, 
people start planning the day after. You guys already thinking and planning and talking about this uh, contest for the year 2022? Yeah. So I, again, I think I mentioned the the mobile um, category was very popular. I'd be surprised if we don't run that again next year. I think, it, you know, really popular event. So look forward to having that as part of, of next year's competition. The, the Weather Live event next year, because we kind of coming out the other end of COVID, we've been discussing, do we make that a face-to-face event? But I think it will stay virtual because as Tyler said, it's the very nature of the reach we can get internationally. You know, it makes sense to keep that virtual event. So looking forward to this time next year. Tyler, hopefully you'll come back. You're a very popular speaker. You went down, you know, fantastic in the first year. We had to invite you back this year and and brilliant again. So hopefully we can book you in for next year as well. My calendar is (laughs) open. Mine too. I just, it's just a hard time of year for me when we do these announcements. It's in my uh, American football season for my other job that I do. I know our, uh, our, one of our leaders here, Dan DePodwin also joined uh, and helped with the announcement. And so, uh, you know, again, a great partnership. We're so happy to do that and be part of this here with AccuWeather and Armets and another amazing uh, journey here through this uh, 2021 Weather Photographer of the Year contest. Liz, always a pleasure. Tyler, thank you for your time. Uh, we course. appreciate the partnership with uh, the Weather Photographer of the Year contest, AccuWeather and Armets. Thanks so much. Thank you. As we said in the podcast, we've got the links in the notes section to this podcast, all the links that you need. Again, simply you could go to rmets.org slash news. There's links in there for the contest and also to order that great calendar. On Twitter, uh, some of these great individuals we just talked to, uh, Serge, uh, Dr. Zaka, I did not introduce him as such, but he is a doctor to PhD. I should have said that in the interview. I apologize, Serge, but you can get to his Twitter. He's got 30,000 followers and plus... S-E-R-G-E-Z-A-K-A for his Twitter. That's, again, Serge Zaka, who won the public vote for the Weather Photographer of the Year. Uh, And then our own Tyler Royce can be found at Tyler the Weather. And Dr. Liz Bentley, D-R-L-I-Z-B-E-N-T-L-E-Y. And, of course, you can go to AccuWeather or Armet's Twitter. AccuWeather spelled out R-M-E-T-S for those Twitter feeds as well. Friends, when we come back, our friend Dan DePodwin, who was also part of that uh, Weather Live event, he was actually the presenter of the awards for Weather Photographer of the Year. He'll join us to talk about that and this exciting and problematic week of weather ahead especially for folks on the west coast that's coming up on everything under the sun from accuweather.com plan your day with confidence and find out what the weather means for you join accuweather meteorologist bernie reno monday through friday for weather insider available on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Looks like we have a busy week of weather on the horizon. Joining me to talk about that is our Director of Forecast Operations in our State College headquarters at AccuWeather, Dan DePodwin, as we talk about the weather for the upcoming weekend and the week ahead. Dan, I know that it was uh, exciting to be part of that Weather Live event and uh, talk to, and you were actually the, the gentleman that was the presenter of the awards for weather photographer of the year and uh you know just uh, in that last segment talking to liz and tyler about it and uh also uh talking with serge uh i mean just an exciting event and uh it makes you really appreciate you know what people i know you know you're an artistic guy in in your own right you know you're a musician 
you know, you have that outlet. And I think all of us in meteorology try to have some kind of outlet. And the joy that I know I get flipping through those photographs and seeing things and learning from that, it had to be fun to be part of that event on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely, Dean. It was a really great event. Uh, we have at AccuWeather have obviously worked with the Royal Met Society for several years now in, in this partnership. And it's been really, a, it's been great to to see the interest from people across the world who attend the event and then the submissions they get. They get thousands of these great photographs. You know, I, I got into the podcast here at the beginning saying, you know, the last week or so has been quiet and kind of relatively not anything too major event-wise after coming off a pretty busy period. But I feel like Dan, that's about to change. It looks like, you know, we got a few little incursions of some chillier air, but generally we've been at or above average. I mean, some of these numbers are still the third week into October. Some of these cities in the Great Lakes in the Northeast, five, six, seven, eight, nine degrees above average, but tremendous differences in some chillier, longer lasting air. It looks like coming into the Great Lakes in Northeast and along the Eastern Seaboard, a parade of storms, including a bomb cyclone out West. that's going to start to bring problems there. That classic bulge of warmth in the middle that will set up of severe weather outbreaks, which is not uncommon for November, but uh, it's going to get wild here, I think, over the next couple of weeks. Do you do you feel that too? Yeah, I, I really do. I think we've had a really nice stretch of weather to sort of catch our breath, which has been nice after uh, what seems like it's been a never-ending stretch of busy weather. But right. September, October without tropical systems can be a really uh, quiet time, which is what's happened. But I think the last third of the month of October and then into November are going to be very different, uh, starting here with this storm out west where several feet of snow, three to six feet of snow will probably fall in the highest peaks of the Sierra. And that's not unusual. What is unusual is probably how early this is. It's late October. It's more typical of these things as you head into, into November or December. And then that same storm is going to be the one that may produce some severe weather in the plains uh, late in the weekend. And then I think, as you mentioned, some cold shots in the east. We had some probably a few flakes in some of the highest elevations uh, last weekend in the northeast. And there's probably another opportunity here this weekend in those higher mountains in the Adirondacks, the Greens and the White Mountains, and more lake effect too. And uh, the Northern Great Lakes will probably see some snow there too. So big changes are coming despite the seven to 10 degree mm. warmer than normal departures the first half of the month. It looks like there's also a bit of a signal that some people have started to point out that a lot of warm, a lot of warm Octobers in the East tend to lead to cooler than normal Novembers. Yes. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we've had Paul on to talk about the the winter forecast. And really, it's not just the winter forecast. It's that kind of time right into winter, too. And, and you know, we've been pointing to this potential flip, especially in the east uh, as we get into November. Uh, I know um, a lot of us are also starting to get wary of once we get turning the calendar in November, uh, that couple of weeks, uh, maybe some uh, nor'easter activity coming up along the eastern seaboard, which, uh, you know, can create some very powerful storms, may not be snow in a all except a limited area, but that limited area can get pounded. I go back to what, 95 here where we had a snowstorm in November that, and, and it's kind of similar too, because the, the trees, I mean, we're, where we are in central Pennsylvania, there's no really very little sign of any color. It's just starting to come in. I mean, we could have leaves on the trees well into November, uh, and if we do get some kind of storm like that in the Northeast, there could be all kinds of problems. And then this parade of storms. I mean, the good news in the West, Dan, with these storms is it's going to alleviate the the hot problems and the fire danger situation and, and add some moisture to a parched area. But 
you know, that being said, those areas that get a lot of rain, now we got mudslides and all kinds of stuff to worry about and travel issues. And obviously, with the, all the stories coming out in terms of the supply chain problems off the West Coast, you don't want a lot of storms parading up along the West Coast. And that's what we're going to have here over the next week or so. Yeah, I think in terms of supply chain, the good news is that the, the, this first round is mostly north of Los Angeles, which is obviously the biggest port out there. But this will still cause wave action and, and wind that will, I'm sure, cause some issues. And then there's the power grid uh, that could be impacted by the gusts to 50, 60 miles an hour from the Bay Area northward. And even though there is rain, obviously, as you said, that comes at a cost, right? Where if you have rain heavy enough and at times in, in areas of terrain, flash flooding can result. This area is prone to have mudslides. And so we have to watch all of that. Uh, and it will obviously help. Any rain helps. But uh, there's it's been such a prolonged stretch, years and years of drier than normal conditions that we need a lot of wet weather over a long period of time, not not days or months, but really years to break the drought completely. But we'll take anything we can get, I'm sure, in the West. Yeah, absolutely. So just a, a snapshot of the weekend has that rain and mountain snow. Uh, central and northern California through most of Nevada, western Utah, and then up into the entire Pacific Northwest was probably some of the snowiest areas up in the parts of western Montana and uh, Idaho. Then for the weekend, a warm middle of the country with as that storm rolls out, it brings a front with some strong to severe storms as we go through the weekend, especially in the central and southern plains. A nice weekend to be in the southeast, uh, with the exception of uh, central and southern Florida, maybe some showers there, but uh, places like uh, the Piedmont of the Carolinas and back into the, the mountains uh, of the Carolinas, uh, and even, um, you know, southern Alabama and Georgia, nice mild weather, little uh, shot of chillier air, um, definitely will feel those uh, chilly showers, especially in the northeast at times. Um, we've had a little bit of raucous weather uh, on Thursday, getting into that, but it looks like just general showers and then there's some snow showers. And then really um, talk me through how many storms up and down that West Coast here as we go from the weekend into the early part of next week, two or three. Yeah, I think there's there's certainly two. There's one that ends Friday and then that's the one that may bring the uh, severe weather to the plains on Sunday. Then there's the the really probably the main event, so to speak, the the most impactful one is likely to be Sunday into Monday. And that's going to dump the uh, you know, four to eight inches of rain in some areas that, and 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 not just in terrain too, in places that there is population. You know, the Bay Area, Sacramento right, can see Area, several San inches Francisco, of rain. Yeah. All um, the major and, cities in the Pacific Northwest, up and down the coast, there, Portland, Seattle, those areas too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think the heaviest is probably south of Seattle, but definitely the coast of Oregon, uh, anywhere south of Portland. And there's probably another wave that may try to move in on Monday. So there's probably three of these waves through Monday that. Uh, all bring heaviest precipitation to slightly different areas, but overall, it's a really stormy time starting, you know, at the at the end of the week here into the weekend into the first part of next week, and then it probably quiets down a bit. Although it's probably not dry until the middle to end of next week in the West. Here's the meteorological jargon term you're going to hear a lot this uh, coming weekend and early next week: atmospheric river. It's a moisture. Uh, it's just like a, a flow of just really moist air that in the atmosphere looks like a river of moisture compared to the dryness around it. And it's aimed right there at California and the West as we go through the weekend and early next week. So I uh, always like to kind of point those out because, uh, you know, those are the questions. What does atmospheric river mean? <laughs> um, you know, it's never too early to talk about the following weekend or is it? Can we make any thoughts about Halloween weekend as we look ahead that far? Um 
Uh, doesn't look uh, terrible throughout the country. There may be some problems in the middle of the country as we get into next week, but it's so hard. I mean, we're that far out. Yeah, we're not really, you know, we're still more than a week away from Halloween, but I think the, the, the main things we're probably watching is the potential for a significant storm in the middle to eastern third of the country late in the week probably ends before the weekend, before Halloween. But I think you could see basically it's this major system in the West that moves eastward into the middle right. of next week may cause a lot of problems and wet weather, thunderstorms, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe Saturday. But Halloween, I think a lot of the country is probably on the milder side. It doesn't look like any big cold shots at the end of the month here. And the southern tier is probably the most likely to be drier at this point, I think. Director of Forecasting Operations in State College at our AccuWeather World Headquarters, Dan DePodwin, thanks so much. Uh, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how this plays out over the next week. Appreciate your involvement here on Everything Under the Sun. Yeah, great to be here, Dean. Friends, that'll do it for episode number four of Everything Under the Sun's fall series here in 2021. Again, our thanks to the Royal Meteorological Society for allowing us to associate with them at the Weather Photographer of the Year contest. And thanks again to Dr. Liz Bentley. And we look forward to checking in with her at least once, if not maybe more than that, on COP26, the United Nations uh, Global Summit for Climate Change. We're going to look at um, other aspects, too. I think uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about hunting seasons, which are starting to get going here here in the fall and into the winter, see if there's been any major changes and trends in hunting, and take a look at the weather here as we head into uh, the months of November, which is a big time for deer season, especially up in parts of the Great Lakes in the Northeast. And then we're going to see, uh, talk about the the skies too. I think uh, AccuWeather's astronomy page needs a visit. We just came off the Orionids over the last couple of days, had a fireball this past week in Detroit. So we'll talk about that a little bit here, uh, what the skies are looking like over the next couple of weeks. Thanks to all of our team members, hundreds of them across the world who work hard every day to weatherproof your life and bring you the very latest in great weather information. And many thanks to our great executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, for all they do behind the scenes to put this podcast together. For all of us, I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Dean DeVore. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week on Episode 5 of our fall series from Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.